Welcome to the Recapables yes. for Succession, Episode 9, Prenuptial. I am joined by my Waystar Royco cohorts, Jason Concepcion. Co-hosting a podcast? That's nothing? <laughs> Katie Baker. This podcast is not very wedding-y. <laughs> I know. I don't know how wedding-y this pod's going to be. I'm Chris Ryan. We're going to talk about the ninth episode of the first season of Succession. Prenuptial, it was written by uh, showrunner Jesse Armstrong and directed by Mark Mylod. And it takes place in England before Tom and Shiv's wedding the night before with the crowd mostly made up of rock gods and economists, the Fly Guys, and of course, oh, the, the extended guys. Roy family, including cousin Greg. Kendall and Stewie are plotting a hostile takeover of Waystar Royco, backed by Sandy Furness, which would install Kendall as CEO. But there are some complications, namely Kendall's reputation as something of a calamari cock ring. Kendall doesn't do much to fight that rep over the course of the next 15 hours, getting coked up, leaking to Frank about the move and having awkward confrontations with Rava, who has to dust coke off his lapel, as well as Jerry, who he just like hostily barges into. Roman isn't feeling so hostile. He just wants his dad's approval on the satellite launch in what seems like a troll move. Possibly Roman brings Tabitha played by Caitlin Fitzgerald as a date who you may remember not just from masters of sex, right? But from mastering sex in the previous episode, Prague, where she had a bodily fluid exchange program with Tom. The groom. What's Tom. the name? Of, what's the name of that thing? I, it's, it's named something. I, you know, it has a name. I, I just can't remember. Yeah. Tom certainly remembers. Rome, Roman wants to marry Tabitha, who is quote pathologically incurious. And while she entertains the idea, she points out that he doesn't seem quite as interested in her yeah. as he pretends to be. Uh, Nate and Gil are there for explicitly political purposes, or in Nate's case, just explicit purposes. Gil wants dirt on Waystar, while Nate just wants Shiv to get dirty. Shiv and Tom are having typical jitters, like, do you love me? Have you cheated on me? Have you overseen an institutional cover-up <laughs> of chronic sexual malfeasance taking place on a corporate cruise line? Stuff like that. Let me get my pen and paper out. Connor is mad because Willa doesn't think he actually does anything when, in fact, he's on the verge of setting up a podcast on yes. Napoleonic history. The theme of this episode is that there are no days off from the game, not even wedding days, and none of the players are ever allowed to go to the bench. Shiv works Gil and Logan. Nate works Shiv for Gil, maybe a bit of Shiv. Kendall works himself. Stewie works Kendall. Marsha finally pulls her knife and shows it to the bride. Caroline, the mother we never met before, ah. plays the odds. And Logan works everyone as he is finally back in his element. Katie and Jason... A melancholy episode after the delirious delights of Prague. Yes. Bakes, let's start with you. What did you think about this night before the wedding? Well, let me just get my biggest question out of the way first, which is, does Shiv have any friends? Like, where are her bridesmaids? <laughs> uh, where's her squad? Where's her crew? So that was kind of bothering me the whole episode. But if you had to guess, that, I mean, where do you think Shiv did, went to college? Oh, wow. Duke. Wow. Duke. <laughs> I could see her going to like Georgetown. Oh yeah. She's, really, yeah. she's always been like a political operator. Yeah. Maybe just a little international relations or something. Yeah. I don't know where Shiv's squad is. She doesn't even have her version of the fly guys, but Katie, obviously it you was, know what? <laughs> you know what? Shiv, Shiv would go to Princeton. Let's be honest. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> I thought about it and you know, it depends like fun. Shiv would have been in TI of, you know, playing Bay Area in the basement. But anyway, um, <laughs> continue. I want to hear more about, I want to hear your thoughts on Caroline. Well, uh, Caroline's excellent. I mean, they, it was great that they 
when they bring her out, you know, and you wonder maybe this is somebody who's like damaged these people mm. more than Logan. And it turns out that she's essentially just Logan without the company. I mean, in terms of the, the mind games, in terms of the emotional bullying, she's basically cut from the same cloth. It's no surprise that these kids wound up the way they did. I really enjoyed her icy British irony where you th- you're not sure if she's complimenting you up until the very last moment when yes. you're actually, now you're sure that she just stuck a dagger in you. <laughs> yes. And it reminds me a lot, you can see where Shiv gets a lot of it, that kind of very cold, just the way she's like, so how, I mean, what odds do you put on the winning? <laughs> how long do you think they'll last? How long do you give it? Yeah, yeah. how long do you give it? Yeah. I, I, I was going to say forever. If they, if they were going to ask me, I was going to say forever, Shiv. Her best line is when she meets Tom and she calls him very plausible. He says, thank you. And she says, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this family is pretty wild. I mean, I think the one thing that I really noticed uh, was coming off of Prague and Prague takes this very extreme situation and derives the most possible amount of degrading humor out of it from this party at an event space for emerging um, emergent behaviors. But for the prenuptial, you have this very pedestrian setting, which is a wedding, something that everybody can relate to. And it seems to really ramp up the, you finally see people start to crack, basically. You see Shiv finally let Marsha get to her. Kendall lets Rava get to him. He lets the situation with Stewie and and Sandy get to him. Roman seems to constantly want this approval, but is actually starting to show some humanity. Katie, did you think that we saw a different side of the Roy family at the, at the wedding? Yeah. I mean, I, I, there were definitely a lot of kind of big, you know, one-on-one matchups and conversations. Roman is definitely one that sticks to me because he's still his, obnoxious self but you're just he's just starting to seem like more and more of like a sad little boy and you know you can see that with all with, with his interaction I mean just by the fact that he's even bringing Tabitha to begin with is just classic Roman I suppose um, but yeah I, I think you're seeing kind of the continued Kendall opens the episode you know acting like kind of such a strong here's what we're going to do you know we're going to take down this company and then you know, later he's just kind of he never really live up to his dad and his dad just kind of pushes him around. So, you know, the scene that probably messed with me the most was Shiv and Jerry because yeah. mm. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm curious like what the, there's a lot of hostility involved in a weird way. So still trying to parse exactly what that means. I think my favorite scene, I think that the scene that really showed a different side of the Roy clan was that the boathouse scene, yeah. which I, I th- it was incredible and kind of, emblematic of like how this show has earned certain moments that all of a sudden like in this ninth episode they give you that window into the relationship of these three kids and how you know them separating themselves from the rest for connor (laughs) (laughs) well connor the is the first eldest child of the first wife correct yeah so he also has thirty thousand acres to protect listen and the napoleonic podcast (laughs) is like significant interest there so just that scene of all of them together and this window into what would life be like if they didn't have this kind of overbearing shadow that just haunts them was really touching and like an incredible gear shift for a show that's been like in turns hilarious and like cringy. Yeah, let's talk about some of our favorite scenes because I want to talk more about the boat and I also want to talk about more about that Jerry and Shift thing. But that boat scene I thought was really interesting because you could never really fully grab the tail of these characters. Every time you think that Roman and Kendall are in some blood feud, 
they still rib each other. Yeah. They still show up for one another, like almost. And in that boat, like it wasn't even like they actually have that. It, it's it's not that they have like a sincere love for each other right. as much as it's just this deep, deep familiarity and that no one else in the world understands what it's like to be right. them other than the other two people. Yeah, that's so true. I, and it's so much like real life in the sense that People work against their own interests, work against the things that they're, they say they want to do all the time. I hate this person. I hate, but then again, you're always with this person. That just rung very true to me. And also what you said in the way that they're the only ones who understand this experience in that same way, they're kind of like the only people who they understand what each of them are going for in a way that allows them to be comfortable in each other's presence. Like a Roman is always, is extremely needy. But Kendall and Shiv understand it. And Shiv is like this weird outsider, but they all understand each other in that way. Um, it was a really touching moment. Yeah, and it's it's it kind of goes towards this cycle that you feel like this family will never be able to break. Yeah. But at the same time, that boat and that sort of moment of recapturing childhood echoed that moment where Marsha which I thought was an incredible moment on the staircase yeah, when Marsha really bears her, her fangs at Shiv. And she says, he, he made you this playground. Yeah. And you don't know what it's like outside in the real world. And then you can see them sort of recreating this childhood playground yeah. on the boat. Right, Katie? Yeah. I mean, I felt that Marsha scene, I felt like I was, you know, I had to rub my eyes and make sure I wasn't watching Game of Thrones for a moment. <laughs> it was just so brutal. And I, usually Marsha you know, kind of keeps her... I don't know. She keeps kind of a serene presence, and it was interesting to see her crack, even though she had the upper hand on on Shiv in that way. But yeah, the boat scene. I mean, the hug really was emotional for me, particularly because it was yeah. very fitting that Roman chose to enter the hug, you know, asked first. Yeah. So <laughs> it was just a beautiful moment all around. Let's talk about some of our other favorite scenes. One that I think probably will be a little bit underrated because it doesn't do much plot movement was uh, Kendall and Rava's interaction as he comes out of the bathroom um, with with some jet fuel in his tank. And that scene is kind of quintessential. Uh, to, it's, it's, it's a quintessential Kendall scene. He has been, for me, the most fascinating character this season. I don't really feel like we see... If there is a hero on the show or a protagonist of the show, at least, I think it's Kendall. And I don't really think we see someone as riddled with failure as him on TV very often. And you can kind of see his hot air balloon of confidence just completely crash to the ground in that one interaction. And Rava's yeah. assessment of have a fucking line if you need one that badly, Kendall, just pretty much sums him up and sums up the entire arc that he's had this season. It was so sad to see him, you know, go from, I did like 120 push-ups this morning and then there's kind of, she kind of, there's a break. And then he said, look, I just have a lot going on right now. Yeah. It's just, yeah it's, I probably have a tumor eating me alive. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, it's so visceral to watch too. I mean, Jeremy Strong is amazing in the, in the role. Yeah, this the scenes Kendall scenes are the most excruciating scenes over the course of the series thus far. I think I found it interesting that in his return to drugs, that was strangely the most clear-headed Kendall at times. Like yeah. his ability to see what's wrong with the family uh, while on drugs was notable. And then how that's at this point in the story 
completely gone away. His inability to handle social situations yes. are is not at all affected by drugs. Like he can yeah. be completely rocked on cocaine and he'll barge into a scene with Frank and Jerry, or he can be completely sober and ruin his Walter meeting or, you know, whatever. It, it, it doesn't seem to really impact his social anxiety and his social awkwardness. The Shiv and Jerry scene I thought was really interesting. Obviously, Jerry has been riding these waves of uh, coup, reverse coup, coup again. But the interaction between them and Shiv sort of becoming this, uh, well, she says, she's like, yeah, oh, yes, I'm bullying you, right. you know, which was sort of amazing. And, and the idea, I think Jerry might actually be her godmother. <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, I was trying to decide. I mean, she, she does look exactly like the, a fairy godmother, but I think she probably also is. But, yeah. you know, she didn't have to call her you old godmother. <laughs> yes. I thought that that was, uh, the way that they kind of corrupt all of the idealism that any character on the show might have. Ugh. And it's just being like Jer Jerry being like, they're journalists, Shiv. They're going to do what they, and Shiv's like, yeah, sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. The Shiv's cynicism is incredible. Her ability to just, the, just the way she's working with like a candidate who ostensibly has a real kind of pure point of view about what is wrong with the world uh, and her ability to go, yeah, 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 that's great, but how are we going to sell this to the great masses of people? And do that in every si single situation is kind of the core of her character. You know, her ability to like, how, okay, how are we going to sell out in a mm -hmm. way that makes sense? Yeah, and it does infect everybody. Yeah. I mean, it infects the most idealistic person on this show, which is She's probably... She's trying to sell out her marriage right now. Which is probably Gil. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I like the fact that it was all these scenes with women. You know, I guess you would say this passed the Bechdel test, but... <laughs> Not only that scene, but you've got the Marcia scene. You even have, I appreciate the relationship between Logan and his PR lady. She's kind of like the only one that can like give it to him straight. I think she says something like, oh you know, we've always pushed you as a good father. And he's like, why? <laughs> yeah, he's like, okay, what about, uh, uh, you know, family relations? Uh, you guys are getting back together. and uh, No, but that, that makes us look, no, that's, that makes us look. Okay, well, uh, Svengali, Svengali, yeah. Svengali, uh, you know, it's like a cult. His candidate. His candidacy is like a cult. No, 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 no. That was incredible. We should talk a little bit about what has been the most adversarial and the, the, the sort of key conflict of the season, which is this Kendall and Logan conflict. And I thought their, their scene, their sort of very staged confrontation mm. was uh, really well written. And it was, it was such an, an act of dominance by Logan to kind of go up to him and just be like, do you need a reference for your resume? You need some corn to get you through the winter. And Kendall can't even come up with a line until he comes up with, what are you going to uh, make me vice president of thwarting my, my dreams or whatever? Yeah, I think I wrote down, are you recruiting a new head of being continually thwarted? Yes. 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 <laughs> I mean, uh, there, but, but you know, there, there's a part in that scene though, where he, I think Logan says something like, I'm going to write, I'm going to tell them that you're prone to bouts of insubordination. And it's, and Kendall reacts like the nicest thing his dad's ever said to him. Like they finally have this inside joke almost. Kendall's so good at making you just feel so terrible. If I had to say, and we can, uh, we can hit any other scenes you guys want to, but when we talk about who won this episode, I, uh, I want to give a special shout out to um, Sarah Snooket as Shiv because I thought that she had the most to do and within within conversations themselves would go through 10 or 15 different emotional stances. Like she would go from her usual acerbic, cutting 
public facing personality to like legitimately hurt. And even in that scene with Tom in her room when she has finally unlocked him and finally broken down his defenses, uh, she still, you can see in her eyes and in her facial expressions, she's still running the angles, but also running through like, how do I feel about what I'm doing and what I am becoming? I thought it was an incredible performance. That scene with Tom where he's like, is this real? Is this, do you want to, like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to do it. And she embraces him and, you know, it's like, I, I love you. But in a way that, in a way that even she doesn't know what she's doing. She's like, I, I guess this, I have to do this. The layers of complexity in her performance, especially in that scene, were unbelievable. On the one hand, she's trying to exploit her husband, her soon-to-be husband. And on the other hand, she's like has some kind of warmth for him because she's, uh, and on the, still a third hand, she's the dominant person in the relationship and she's comfortable with it. She might be the dominant person in the family. Yeah. She swings a friggin' election that yeah. night, you know? In that scene, she does such a good job of, of being a liar. Like, yeah. it's just the way she almost starts to give, like, too many details. Like, you've met him, and this is where, and he used to, you know, run around Shanghai with Kendall, and it's just, it, it was just such a good portrayal of someone who is, you know, in that situation and totally lying. Oh, yeah. He's a good colleague. He's a dick, you know? Yeah. Like, he's running around with Kendall, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the season in general, because uh, we're coming up on the finale next week. I feel like I want to like implore people to savor what's happening on this show because uh, often what times what happens on TV shows is that you'll have like the initial storyline that keeps all the characters together. And then typically to kind of kick the can down the road, TV shows will scatter category mm -hmm. cat characters a little bit. And I have no knowledge. I haven't watched the finale yet, but you have to imagine from the second season of of uh, Succession, that they can't keep having these sort of mock family reunions <laughs> every right. two episodes to kind of generate this kind of stuff. So I would imagine a lot more twosomes and a lot more pairing off of characters in different sort of circumstances. But to watch this ensemble together week after week in these increasingly intense backdrops is so remarkable. Um, Jason, you wrote a really great piece about Thank you. this show's attitude towards money and yeah. the way that this show depicts greed. And I thought almost right in time, this show did had that incredible scene with Stewie insisting oh, that yeah. they get champagne in an empty pub in the morning in the countryside of England. And Kendall just kind of being like, now? Yeah. And then the the, the bartender just sort of like being like, I guess we have champagne. Right. I have to go find yeah. it. Rob, where's the champagne? The thing that I thought was so smart about what they did in, in this particular episode was this return to the ancestral home and the way that really hammers down the theme of succession and like this, this weird dynamic of inherited wealth. I mean, you really realize here, it's not just Logan Roy. Logan Roy is himself another stage in this like ever rolling uh, pile of money that just moves through the ages, lifting these kind of like second-rate people to high stations mm -hmm. in the world. And what does that mean? How do you break this cycle? Here is like here is Gil Evis in a castle <laughs> selling out his ideals. Yeah, champagne for all. Champagne for all. I thought that all, yeah. was. I thought that um, in particular was so smart in the way that th this this show is just so good at depicting wealth in a way that doesn't make it glamorous in any kind of way and listen there's a lot of shows and a lot of stories a lot of cultural artifacts that have that depict wealth and and have a message of this is a corrupting thing in our world 
but it also makes it look pretty fun at times. And this show never does that. No. Never, ever, ever does it. Yeah. The other thing I noticed is that, you know, they've, they've moved the show across the pond mm-hmm. and it still looks the same because the world they inhabit, they could go any city in the world. It's and just they're gilded wherever they go. Yeah. yeah. The same clubhouse lounge or, you know, the same driver. Um, and speaking of driver, it was kind of interesting to me to see them talking about the cruise line in the car with the driver. And it just kind of reminds you of this is supposed to be this huge secret that can sink the whole company. And they're just kind of talking about it out in the open. Yeah. I mean, Kendall's plotting a hostile takeover of the biggest, one of the biggest media companies in the world with his assistant standing right there. And the Stewie's like, get her out of here. You know, I thought that the thing that was fascinating, uh, especially in the two interactions between Gil and Logan was the uh, fluidity of idealism. And that basically they flip positions in their two meetings. In the first meeting, it's like you've got Bernie Sanders facing off against Rupert Murdoch. And then when when Logan sees him again and Gil sort of remarks upon the castle, Logan's like, slaves built that. Yeah. This is all bullshit. This is yeah. all a facade. This is everything that we, we're seeing and doing here. Is just, it's just a, a, a huge theatrical production. And then when he's like, shake on it, he's like, I don't, yeah, we don't, I don't want to get my hands dirty. You know, it's nothing matters. Nothing really matters. And in some ways, it's a miracle that this show remains as entertaining as it is when the actual message is like almost impossible to swallow. It's so dark. Yeah, it's really, it's kind of like, can you create a anti-capitalist story out of that system itself. And that's what this show is almost asking us to do is like, can we actually escape a system where everything we look at has been created from that system? We inhabit that system. Can we break a system that that is responsible for us existing at all? And I don't know that the show knows the answer. And I think that's, and then they don't present an answer either. So I think that's part of what makes the show so fascinating to me. I mean, as, uh, as Marcia said, to Shiv, he made you a playground yeah, and you think yeah. it's the world. I think that's just, that, I mean, that, that's so indicative of the show itself too, which, you know, as you said, savor it. We've got all these characters together. Um, you know, the the other side of that is that unlike so many of these types of shows, like we have, we've gotten almost no exposure to anyone in the outside world and which, you know, we have a lot of room to maneuver and also make it seem like more of this kind of playground, but, you know, it's just totally warped reality. Yeah, I, I'm curious because the other thing that Shiv says to Marsha is like, who are you other than a mechanism for gathering power? Yeah, that's, which could be said about every yeah, single person on this show. Uh, let's give a few, I mean, just obviously loose predictions uh, for the finale. In the history of the show, uh, best laid plans <laughs> don't really always work out. So I wonder how a poorly laid plan like this um, shotgun hostile takeover I can't personally wait for the, I can't wait for the bear hug <laughs> myself. Yes, I cannot wait for that. Katie, is the bear hug a term that is used in corporate rating? It is. It, it basically refers, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher this in some way, but it, it's basically when you, the bear hug aspect of it is that you're giving an offer that's kind of above market price enough that it's supposed to be this gentle embrace slash you're getting suffocated. Um, because it's hard to turn down the offer if you're trying to act in the best interest of shareholders. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, just doing a little looking into, you know, old bear hugs of yore. Um, 
TPG, the private equity group, at once tried to do a bear hug transaction on the esteemed surfing company Billabong. No way! Um, and Billabong, <laughs> Billabong bought them off. So I wow. thought that was interesting. There was also a, a Steve Ballmer letter to Yahoo, I think back in 08, um, that, that didn't end up happening. I think the amount they offered then was like more than the company's worth, essentially even now. So it was a real thing. But like you said, something tells me that something might go awry. Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine, I feel like there's just a Marsha shoe to drop soon. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, either that or the central tension of the show so far this season has been Kendall trying to ascend to the top of the mountain. And I don't know whether or not, I don't know how many times you can sort of build a multi-episode arc around Kendall's plotting to do that. You either need to put him in that position or you need to have him fully outside of it somehow. Or he can just do like what Logan was essentially saying, which was you want to get back in the soccer game. Uh, and so I, I'm really not clear about what's going to happen there. They all know each other's secrets. They all know the dark skeletons in the closet. It, it'll be really fascinating to see. I just am really curious about how uh, Connor's gut bacteria is doing. Oh That's my, my thing. They really bonded over that. There's so many balls in the air right now that I. it feels like any number of things can go wrong. There is the wedding in it, itself. There is Gil's candidacy, which he seemingly would have tarnished just by attending this wedding yeah. in the presence of Logan Roy. You, I mean, you could see, you know, it's like the Hillary Clinton speeches thing. You know, sure. like, here's Gil uh, at a wedding with Logan Roy. You could see his, uh, his enemies using that against him. There is the rocket launch. Uh, there is this hostile takeover. There's just a million things that could go wrong at any time. And you have to imagine that some, if not all of them, will go sideways. Katie, do you think that Shiv actually says I do? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think they will, um, but I think it'll be like some weird, not necessarily like a run to the altar, or like a. But I think there will be some weird, as as uh, as Greg the Egg would say, there may be some some weird doubt afoot. I loved his like weird Britishism throughout the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing, Your Excellency. Yes. All right, guys. Any uh, any final thoughts on the episode before we take off? I mean, I guess I will say, like, I think Greg, you know, we haven't really talked about Cousin Greg much here, but again, he's sort of the fulcrum of all these things that could go wrong. Um, he's just eyes and ears, and he's increasingly learning how to cover his ass, how to, you know, pick up information and, and deploy it. And so I think that's, I could see that being an interesting part of the, of the finale, something with something with Greg being an agent of chaos in some way. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the show is the fact that when the when it started, you could see Shiv just being a tertiary character who came in and had jokes but didn't really wasn't really like a, a an emotional part of the story. And the same thing goes for Greg. He could have just been comic relief this mm -hmm. entire time, but they are crucially putting him like you're saying Katie in the eye of the storm every single time. And one of these days whether it's talking to his grandfather about it or his mother or or whoever it's going to be, Greg will inadvertently perhaps make a move. I mean, you, you can't help but inadvertently make a move when you're talking to like random British gentlemen about like an affair <laughs> I know. Uh, between the and bride and groom. Like, tell him. Like, like, or don't tell him. I don't <laughs> care. Uh, so you, you can't help but have that happen. Quietly a great episode by Greg, who, as we said, outed an affair 
that he believes is going on to a random gentleman and then later gets his ass kicked in the snow right uh, by the groom <laughs> right great job by a man wearing leggings yeah full athleisure yeah. all right thank you to katie baker and jason concepcion for joining me i'm chris ryan this has been succession recapables we'll be back next sunday as well for the finale uh there'll be some combination of ringer staffers handling that one we're really excited about this show until then take care 